Inside Sources. Inside, Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. A special edition of Inside Sources. We want to look at what is actually going to impact you, your community, your neighborhood, and the state of Utah. KSL is live from the Utah State Capitol Building with state lawmakers. It's Eye on the Hill 2024 with Boyd Matheson and Inside Sources. We are broadcasting live today from the Utah State Capitol. Last day of the 45-day session here in Utah's Capitol Hill. And, uh, of course, it's always an interesting thing uh, when you compare and contrast what happens in the state of Utah versus what happens across the country and particularly in our nation's capital. Uh, it is always refreshing. Uh, and while there are many things that I think everyone will moan and whine and, and uh, wince a little bit about in terms of how we do things in the state of Utah, uh, comparatively, uh, this is a, uh, a model of efficiency uh, in terms of what gets done. We often refer to it as the fastest 45 days in the country. Uh, legislature that it, uh, meets for 45 days uh, to get the work of the people done uh, is, a, is a real model on time, on budget, uh, and uh, within our means. I think that's an important thing. So we're going to do a wide range of things as we go through the next two hours. And of course, Jeff Kaplan will be here picking things up at three o'clock. He'll take you into the evening hours. And then uh, we have some KSL at night uh, to March your way towards the end of the legislative session. There's always a flurry of activities on the final day. You get a few things getting pushed through, some things getting parked or benched uh, or pushed to the back of the line. And so we'll try to keep our uh, eyes on all of those things as we go through the afternoon. Of course, you can stay tuned to KSL News Radio throughout the day and throughout the evening tonight as we close out the 45-day session here on Utah's Capitol Hill. Uh, we've got a wide range of guests that are going to join us today, including uh, Brian King uh, from the uh, House of Representatives here on Capitol Hill. will be joining us to talk about some interesting things in terms of the data in terms of water and uh, the Great Salt Lake, amongst other things. Uh, he'll weigh in there. Also, we'll have uh, Representative Celeste Malloy is going to join us at the top of the 2 o'clock hour, uh, having come back from Washington, D.C. And, of course, uh, today we noted that uh, Congress has once again beat the clock. No shutdown tonight. Uh, they have uh, punted it to President Biden, signed the bill this afternoon, uh, which extended the funding of the government for... Seven whole days. So uh, lawmakers will be back at it over the weekend in our nation's capital trying to figure out the budget process and getting the government funded. Uh, I think they ought to just do a swing by here in the state of Utah. I think they could probably learn a few things about how you stay on budget and uh, get the funding done. And so we'll watch that. Uh, Celeste Malloy will uh, weigh in her experience back there. Uh, dealing with uh, a shutdown showdown and uh, what that's going to mean moving into next week. And, of course, next week is Super Tuesday. That will be very big on the presidential front uh, with uh, 15 additional states having uh, their primaries and caucuses, including the state of Utah, on Tuesday. We'll talk about that a little bit as we go through the show and rolling into next week, what that will look like uh, for Republicans and Democrats, uh, as well as some of the minority parties who will caucus on Tuesday the 5th. So we'll break all of that down as we move along as well. Uh, but as we round out the legislative session, it's always interesting to take a look back in terms of big things that did happen, and often it's the big things that didn't happen uh, that are often the things that we have to keep our eye on. 
when it comes to state funding and state government. And, of course, KSL has been uh, with you throughout the 45 days, giving you all the behind-the-scenes look uh, at uh, what is happening. Holly Richardson is going to join us coming up here at 120 uh, to give her perspective on a few of those things that did make it through. And some of the things, uh, as we said, some things get parked, some things get benched, some things get pushed to the back of the line. And uh, those priorities are always very interesting to me uh, because often it's what you choose not to do in a legislative body that sends as clear a message as anything you decide to do in a legislative body. And legislative leadership is an interesting thing. It is uh, it is the, the most challenging kind of leadership because it really requires kind of an all-points-of-the-compass approach. Uh, and that's not easy. It's not executive leadership uh, like leading a company. It's not executive leadership like being a governor. Uh, it's why I always said uh, in Washington, uh, the most frustrated people in Washington, D.C. are former governors and and former business executives, uh, they are part of uh, what I always dubbed the flat forehead society as they would walk around the building slapping their forehead saying, I don't understand how this place works. There's no other organization in the world, no business, no other kind of government that can function the way Congress tries to function or doesn't function uh, these days. And, and uh, so it's an interesting thing to look at, and it is really the art of persuasion uh, it's also the, the focus and the leadership of, of different groups and entities. Uh, and then, of course, the one of the things that I love most about uh, being up here on Utah's Capitol Hill is the fact that it is uh, it is so open. Uh, everybody can come by. Just as we were coming in and getting set up today, I uh, saw a number of uh, families coming out of the gallery, uh, younger children uh, here in the Capitol, uh, and that's a, uh, that's a good thing uh, for people to be able to see the process unfold uh, and it's something that we all have to look at is are we leaning in? Are we fully engaged in what's happening in our state government? Because it's so easy to get so hyper-focused on what's happening nationally. And we talk about the national things because they matter and they do impact us. Uh, but if you want to know what really is going to hit you, it's going to be the state government. Uh, it's going to be your local government, your city and your county. Uh, that's going to impact your day-to-day -day living far more uh, than many of the battles, especially the political battles that we see back in our nation's capital. Uh, and so as we look at those and as we look at the legislative session, of course, it's everything from higher education, uh, a lot of conversations uh, this year, of course, around uh, funding for uh, stadiums, baseball, hockey, and otherwise. Uh, what does that all mean? Taxes, of course, uh, another big uh, topic of discussion up here during this 45-day legislative session. And so we'll break all of those down and try to help you connect the dots and make all of that news make sense for you on a Friday as we uh, roll into the weekend. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to have a number of guests uh, joining us here, and we're broadcasting live. Again, uh, if you're just joining us, we are up at the Utah State Capitol KSL News Radio will be here all afternoon and into the evening tonight. So Jeff Kaplan, of course, will pick up right at 3 o'clock. He'll get you home. Uh, and as always, Jeff will get you home uh, a little smarter and a little safer. Uh, as you navigate that, he'll keep you up to speed on all the last-minute things happening. And then, of course, KSL at night uh, will be also be broadcasting from up here at the Capitol uh, as they close out the legislative session. So all of those are crucial conversations, uh, critical things that are happening up here on Utah's Capitol Hill. Uh, I think one of the things that is most interesting to me when it comes to the, the state legislature, uh, it's one of the things that uh, we had uh, George Will in town uh, last fall. Uh, he and I went up and spoke uh, to the great students up at uh, Weber State University. 
And uh, George was was so complimentary of the way Utah gets things done when it comes to the state legislature. Uh, the fact that there is a, a balancing of the budget uh, every time around, that it gets done on time. Uh, he really was amazed that uh, Utah does this in 45 days. And, and I have to tell you, you can go anywhere in the country. Uh, I don't know anyone who can do it more efficiently or more effectively than uh, what happens up here on Utah's Capitol Hill. And it doesn't mean we always agree, and it doesn't mean that we always love everything that gets done. It doesn't mean that uh, there aren't mistakes made or egos that get bumped or bruised or people who uh, do things that maybe might be in their political interest more than the people's interest in terms of good policy. But I would say for the vast majority, uh, it is working incredibly well. Uh, it is a, a great model, and it is something that the rest of the country uh, can really take a good look at and uh, and see how we actually get some things done. So we're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick break. When we come back, Holly Richardson will join us with her observations and uh, insight into what has happened, what hasn't happened, and what comes next up on Utah's Capitol Hill. We're broadcasting here live all day on KSL News Radio. Stick around. We'll be right back. Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason on Inside Sources, a special edition of Inside Sources, live from the Utah State Capitol on KSL News Radio. Well, we are live from the Capitol today. We are actually in one of the committee rooms. I actually think it's appropriate. Uh, this is where things uh, should be talked about. And as we come down the home stretch, it is the fastest 45 days, I think, in the country when it comes to legislative work. And it's an interesting thing to just watch how it plays out. Uh, some things are great. Some things are tough and, and challenging. And uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit in this segment of the program. Really thrilled to have Holly Richardson joined, joining us uh, with Utah Policy and someone who's both uh, an astute observer of what happens here on Utah's Capitol Hill, and she's also covered it from all points of the compass. She's been a member of the legislature, so she's been on the floor on a final day. We'll talk about that in just a minute, uh, as well as someone who covers it regularly for Utah Policy and, of course, Deseret.com as well. And, uh, Holly, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Isn't it great to be in a committee hearing room, uh, not having a committee hearing? You know, it's always it's always good to be back at the Capitol. So we have access uh, from our homes, and that's really great, but there's something really unique and special about being here in person. Yeah, there, there is, and I, and I do love that. I was, I was mentioned it during the first segment that I love the fact that I can see kids walking down the hallways and parents and young people going in to listen from the gallery yeah. and be part of that process. It, it is a good, good thing. Yep. Well, let's start with some of the things that are happening in terms of some policy. One area um, that I don't think has gotten nearly enough coverage uh, is around this whole area of domestic violence. You've been tracking this uh, specifically. Give us some updates there. Yeah, there's a couple of bills that are really uh, important bills. One of them is called Ohm's Law. It's uh, after Ohm Gandhi, who was killed mm -hmm. by his father. Um, last year in a domestic dispute. So uh, it was a custody dispute. And so w what happened is the the judge actually gave full custody to the dad, even though the mom was presenting evidence of, uh, we have a restraining order, he's threatened to kill us, he's threatened to hurt us. Um, and so what this bill does is say that the it, it, among many things, but it says that the courts have to take that into consideration if there is um, credible evidence. And if a child is saying, I don't want to go, they need to take that into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. So does that move all the way? 
It hasn't, it hasn't yet, actually. So okay. it has some um, uh, last-minute amendments on the Senate side, and it's over on the House for concurrence, which mm. means they don't think there's going to be any disagreement, but it will go today, yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. We'll keep our eye on that one as well. What else are you tracking as uh, you come down the home stretch? This is, this is where the big flood... <laughs> The board gets full really fast, but it what is, else is on your radar? It's so interesting. So um, one of the bills that is interesting to me is whether we're going to allow volunteer chaplains in schools. Mm. Um, that bill made it through to the Senate side, but the way it works at the end is they take all the bills off the board, they send them back to the Rules Committee, and then they parcel them back out. So that bill is sitting in the Rules Committee right now. Mm. Whether it comes out or not, we will see later, <laughs> right? Um <laughs> Uh, earlier today, they passed the NHL bill um, for the hockey revitalization district for downtown. Um, they passed the NIL bill, which is the name image likeness uh, bill for college athletes, exempting them from grandma, but also, you know, part of the process of how do those student athletes get um I guess, how do they allow companies to use their name, image, and likeness? Um, so those are a couple of bills that already passed today. They just, before lunch, the House just passed a big energy bill, mm. um, energy independence, and talking about how great Utah coal is, and yeah. that, that one passed. And Okay. Yeah. Onward we go. So I want to get in, uh, for the next few minutes, I want to get into some of the process pieces, uh, because yeah. again, you've, you've, <laughs> you've covered it from the outside. You've been on the floor for this uh, marathon yep. day. We always joke that it is the 45 days, but the last day is like six years. Right. <laughs> it goes all the way to the end. And uh, just describe that for our listeners in terms yeah. of all the things you're trying to process and think through and vote on uh, as you go through the last day of a legislative session. Yeah. So the last day, I, I would not be surprised if they pass at least 100 bills today. Mm. That's a lot, right? It means you're not going to have a lot of discussion time on the mm. floor on each one. So earlier this week, they passed 97 bills on Wednesday. They passed 85, I think, yesterday. Wow. Um, so there, it, it really speeds up. So there's no committee hearing. There's no public input. And, and what you're trying to do is especially if you're a legislator and you still have bills that haven't passed or haven't died, yeah. <laughs> right? um, you're trying to make sure that your bill is prioritized by the other body. So if I'm a House member, which I was, then I want to make sure that the Senate is moving my bill to the top of the calendar so that mm. my bill gets heard before we run out of time at midnight. Yeah. And that's what happens, right? Every year you'll go to the interim session and people will say, this is a really good bill. It had a lot of support, but it died on the board. And what that means yeah. is they ran out of time at the end of the session and didn't get it passed. Yeah, I think that's always such an interesting thing to look at uh, because I think the things that we decide not to do yeah. When we start running out of time, you have to kind of get to the essence of the essence of things. Yeah. And so kind of walk us through that in terms of a of a process, because, uh, again, I think it sends a big signal of what we choose to park sure. or what we let die or sure. what we postpone. Sure. Well, this this is a place where the behind the scenes, there's a lot of politicking. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> so so the budget bills have already really the budget prioritizations yeah. already been passed. It's interesting. There there is um, there is a bill that has been killed. But it was um, prioritized and and funded, but the bill is dead. And so maybe they're going to bring it back, and that could be a zombie mm. bill because until the very last minute, anything could happen. So you can suspend the rules, and you can pluck a bill out of the graveyard, <laughs> <laughs> and you can vote on it again. Or you can call a bill back and say, we want to reconsider our actions. We passed it, but we've had some behind-the-scenes conversation, and now we're going to kill mm. it. I mean, so there's a lot of that kind of jockeying and, yeah. you know, working. If you're a House member, you're working with your Senate sponsor to get your bill up to the top. 
um, the year that I was really focused on one specific bill, this has been a long time now, 2005, we started at the very beginning of the session. I think our bill was like number 26 of the House bill. So it came out early and it did not pass until nine o'clock at night on the last day of the session. <laughs> we were we were just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Passed that year, so and it's still law, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, just in our last couple of minutes, Holly, uh, anything surprised you this year in terms of things that we're focused on or things that we're not focused on? Yeah, I was surprised, actually, at some of the things that I saw. I saw a lot. It felt like a lot more resolutions. I never really did a mm. count. felt like a lot of message bills this year saying, you know, hey, you know, we're going to pass this resolution or, you know, you're running a bill that, you know, has no chance of being heard because it's coming out, you know, this week. Mm. Um, but you can go back and tell your constituents, hey, I ran this bill. Um, and I think some of that may have come from having the filing period moved to the very beginning of January. Yeah. So everybody knows who their opposition is, if they have any. I think that might have changed the nature um, of the bill. But I haven't, I, I didn't see as much focus on like family issues, for example. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of bills that impact education. And I think you could fairly say family kind of touches all the areas yeah. of politics. But but as far as like childcare and how do we support families and, you know, there was a, a tax credit that was extended for families of young children. And there was one bill, um, it was the same bill that allowed um, children to be in an unlicensed daycare. But other than that, there, there's been a lot of other conversation, I think, about stadiums, about um, water, about yeah. energy, those types of things. But fewer bills really focus just on the family. Yeah, I thought that was interesting as well in terms of, again, a lot of big, big issues, stadiums, yeah, big. water, uh, environment kinds of things. Uh, so I think that's interesting. Just in our, our last minute, uh, I want you to go back to this idea of the, the filing period. So yeah. the fact that the candidates had to file before the session began yeah. so that everyone knows who they're gonna, likely to be up against in a primary or in a potential fall race. Right. Uh, just describe that impact for us real quick. Well, it's hard to know because you're either you either know exactly who you have, or if the filing period is mm -hmm. after it's over, then then you maybe have suspicions, right, yeah. of who you might have. But what that does is it allows people to focus their legislation or their talking points on the floor um, towards their voters. Right. So either the delegates may be in a Republican process or if they're in a swing district, they're going to make sure that mm. they're going to, you know, thread the needle between yeah. the people who are maybe more conservative and the people who are more liberal. There are some purple districts in our state, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that early filing period of saying we know exactly who we're campaigning against and how mm. we're going to do it. You even see some legislators who are campaigning against the governor mm. while they're legislating. That... I, mm, I'm not sure I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will come back to that one because that's a that's a big one because when the politics start to get right to the floor of the legislative process, that's uh, that's where we rarely get good policy. We yeah. get a whole lot of politics. Holly Richardson, uh, of course, the editor of uh, Utah Policy Daily and a member of Deseret News and a great insider uh, for us here and a great perspective as always. Holly, thanks for joining us. We'll step aside for some bottom of the hour news. When we come back, it's time for our weekly Inside Sources, Inside Look at Presidential Politics. It was a big week for that in the state of Utah. We'll do that coming up next. Stick around. We'll be right back. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. 
a special edition of Inside Sources. We want to look at what is actually going to impact you, your community, your neighborhood, and the state of Utah. KSL is live from the Utah State Capitol Building with state lawmakers. It's Eye on the Hill 2024 with Boyd Matheson and Inside Sources. Inside Sources, an inside look at 2024 presidential politics. Well, that is all the things right there. We are broadcasting live from Utah State Capitol today, final day of the legislative session. Uh, it will be a flurry of activity between now and midnight tonight when the session uh, formally gavels out and ends. And you can stay with KSL News Radio throughout the afternoon and evening. Jeff Kaplan, of course, will pick you up at 3 o'clock, uh, get you home safe and smart uh, with all the updates happening. And then KSL at night will also broadcast live here from the Capitol uh, as, again, that big flurry of activity coming down the home stretch. Uh, but it is time for our weekly segment, Inside Sources, gives you an inside look at presidential politics. Uh, we've been doing this uh, for a while now. And as we look behind the scenes on both the Democratic and Republican side of the aisle, as we march our way through 2024, we are very quickly approaching a uh, big date in presidential politics. Super Tuesday will be March the 5th uh, next week. And, of course, Utah will play a part in all of that uh, this year as uh, the uh, both the Republicans and the Democrats will be caucusing. Some of the other minor parties are also caucusing as well. Make sure you're aware of all of those. This is your chance to lean in and weigh in on uh, those candidates running for president of the United States. And so as we look at it this week, uh, I want to start off with kind of the dueling split screen battle between the former president and the current president as it relates to border security. It was very interesting to me yesterday that uh, you had both uh, the current and the former president at the border in Texas. They were just a few hundred uh, miles apart uh, and yet worlds apart in terms of the way they framed the issues and the way they looked at it. Sadly, I think uh, both of them failed the uh, test in terms of policy uh, because this was much more political and positioning and posturing uh, than it was really getting to the principles and policies that we actually need to have to secure the border and to have an immigration system that actually works. So let's start uh, with kind of the uh, the dueling pressers down there at the border uh, both President Biden and former President Trump uh, visited. President Biden uh, addressed the former president and uh, his current rival specifically, calling on uh, him to work together, to come together, to pass some bipartisan border security and immigration bills. And uh, here's the way President Biden described it down at the border yesterday. I understand my predecessor's legal pass today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, Join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? All right, so that was President Biden yesterday as calling out to the former president saying, join me or I'll join you. Uh, let's call on Congress to, to get something done. Uh, and to move that forward, uh, as uh, was mentioned, uh, just down at Eagle Pass, Texas, just down the road a little bit, uh, President Trump had his own press conference, and here's the way he teed up the conversation. Three years ago, we had the most secure border in history, and people weren't coming because they knew they weren't going to get in. We had the safest border in the history of our country, and now outside of this area where Texas has done an amazing job, and in a pretty short period of time, they're going to have it all covered. They have just been incredible. 
So I think for uh, both uh, Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump, uh, when all was said and done yesterday, much more was said than is going to get done in an election year. Uh, both sides of the political aisle love to use immigration and border security as a wedge issue. Uh, you've heard me say that before. They both love to use it as uh, a way to raise campaign cash. Uh, it's a great way to rally up the base of both the left and the right. Uh, but none of that actually delivers us results in terms of what needs to happen for the country. So I think that was interesting. And uh, also thought it was interesting uh, that uh, when uh, former ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, was here in the state of Utah this week, she actually called out both the current and the former president uh, for failed policies at the border. And I said we need to have a different kind of discussion uh, when it comes to border security and immigration, if we're going to get it uh, all the way to the end and get some good policy implemented. And, uh, of course, in the run-up to Super Tuesday, uh, Nikki Haley did do uh, a quick visit here to the state of Utah, spoke down on the campus of Utah Valley University uh, as uh, with an invitation from the uh, Herbert Institute down there, former Governor Gary Herbert. And uh, in her conversation, I had the chance to sit down with her uh, and have a one-on-one conversation and i want to play you two uh, clips from that you can watch the uh, entire interview um, i sit down with nikki haley on sunday edition on ksl5 tv at nine o'clock on sunday morning this weekend and uh, that will get you all ready for super tuesday but i asked nikki haley what she learned from the american people that's always an interesting thing to see those who are crisscrossing the country uh, great leaders are great learners, and I asked the former ambassador what she has learned from the American people uh, as she's been traveling and campaigning. And I go and I see what the American people are saying, and I think they feel the fragility. When you listen to them, they don't talk about political talking points, and they don't talk about parties, so to speak. They talk about their kids. They talk about the debt. They talk about the fact that groceries are so expensive. They talk about the fact that they don't think their kids are going to be able to buy a home. They talk about student debt. There's so many things that they are feeling every day that is not even being talked about in Washington, D.C. And I think that's the part that more politicians need to be out among the people. Because when you hear what they have to say, those are the things that matter. It is those conversations about the kids and the grandkids and what's going on in the community that really matter. And it was part of an interesting hallway conversation uh, with uh, Ambassador Haley uh, talking about what she did at the U.N., how she would invite uh, the ambassadors from uh, China and from Russia to her home to have dinner with she and her husband. And they wouldn't talk politics. They wouldn't talk international affairs. They'd, they'd talk about the kids and the grandkids and build those relationships uh, that you have to have, even uh, with those that uh, might be perceived as being your enemy. uh, Relationships still matter, and I thought that was an interesting portion of the the conversation while Ambassador Haley was in town. Uh, I want to end with uh, part of my interview uh, with her, and I I asked her the question I ask all people running for office, doesn't matter what the office is, I want to know what's going to make all of this headache and heartache of a campaign worth it, even if you come up short on election day. This is about me putting on the warning signs to say, don't ignore what's happening right in front of us. We are better than this. We can do better than this, but we have to agree that we have to be part of the solution. I'm willing to take the cuts. I'm willing to take the bruises. I'm willing to take the pain and the name calling because I think good things come when you go through the pain. But I also think that you have to go through the pain to appreciate the blessing.
And I'm hoping everybody will see through this and we can all appreciate the blessing. So you have to be part of the solution. You have to be willing to go through the process. And that's uh, part of the reason why we're actually broadcasting from Utah's Capitol Hill today, because here in the state of Utah, everybody can be part of the process. Uh, but I did think that was interesting from the former ambassador and uh, current presidential candidate uh, who's really making her pitch to Utah voters. And uh, we'll get into that a little later in the show as we talk about caucus night coming up on Tuesday, March the 5th, which is Super Tuesday, where many around the country, uh, 15 states, will weigh in and have a big impact on the presidential race for 2024. Well, that wraps up our Inside Sources Inside Look at Presidential Politics. We'll step aside for a quick break. We'll continue to broadcast from Utah's Capitol Hill, final day of the Utah legislature, right here on KSL News Radio. Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason on Inside Sources. A special edition of Inside Sources, live from the Utah State Capitol on KSL News Radio. We are broadcasting live to today from the Utah State Capitol. We're in the committee hearing room. Uh, I think the appropriate place to have a community conversation. So we appreciate you joining us. And we're going to lean in uh, during this segment of the program on something that we talk about often on this show, and that is how do we deal with those uh, that are unhoused, unsheltered, whether that's chronic, whether that's transitional, uh, and what are the best ways to make sure we get the right kind of help in the right kind of way to the right people uh, so we can get them on the right path because that's the the real result we want to get to. And uh, really thrilled to have back on the program with us today, Randy Shumway, of course, is the founder and chairman of the Cicero Group. Uh, he's also the co-chair of the Utah Homeless Council. And uh, Randy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So as uh, we kind of continue our conversation, uh, we always uh, resort to uh, Albert Einstein saying that he wasn't smarter than anyone else. He was just willing to stay with the question a little longer. Uh, and you've been staying with this question. Uh, you had a fantastic series of uh, opinion pieces uh, at Deseret.com. Staying with the question as it relates uh, to homelessness and some of those challenges. And so as you continue to think through this and think about this, what give us something to start with in terms of what should we be thinking differently about uh, as we start to approach that, whether it's here at the legislature or whether it's us in our own communities? Boyd, you and I talked about this last week. For our chronically homeless population, this is an absolute human crisis based on debilitating trauma. And if we diagnose the root problem accurately is trauma and and clearly define human dignity as the ultimate objective, we start thinking about solutions a lot differently. Yeah, and, and so as we look at some of those uh, potential solutions, one of the things you pointed out in uh, in one of your pieces at Deseret.com was how sometimes sometimes we unintentionally make things a little worse rather than better. Uh, describe that for us, and then how do we get to that better conversation? Well, I think I think there's myriad examples. I, I'll, I'll just define two, but we can deep dive others. One is the inconsistency in which laws are enforced. Uh, we we actually by not enforcing the laws, we're hurting the population that we most intend to help. And and second, we need policy changes that help individuals reintegrate into society as they continue healing and maintaining their improvement. Yeah, and, and so as you look at how we go about that, uh, and again, a lot of it is getting 
the the skill set or the the pieces the discipline pieces that they need in terms of work or employment uh, opportunities that way uh, give us some some sense uh, because I know you've looked at this nationally as well as uh, very acutely here uh, in the state of Utah uh, but who else should we be looking to what other conversations are happening around the country that we ought to be factoring in as we look at at that good policy side of it Hennepin County has a great model called Know Them by Name system, which creates a a personalized improvement plan for every single individual and then provides the wraparound services to help them along the continuum of improvement. Another good example is in Miami-Dade County, Florida, uh, where they've implemented the sequential intercept and diversion model. And what that does is rather than just throwing every person who's breaking the law in jail. Instead, they take the time to, uh, to diagnose the root problems. And if they're a predator exploiting the weak, then they need a timeout. They go to prison. Yeah. But if the person's mentally disabled, they don't need jail. They need comprehensive, inpatient, full-time care to get their medications correct, to get them balanced, and to help them be of a full mind. Or if the person's misbehaving based on substance use disorder, again, they don't need jail. They need detox along with a comprehensive inpatient social and medical care to overcome that addiction. So what the sequential intercept and diversion model does is tries to very uh, smartly diagnose what are the root problems and get the services that help the individual start to heal and improve as they change their life and change their behavior. That's so important. Now, one of the other things I know that you focused on uh, is making sure we've got everybody from service providers, stakeholders, uh, and in particular criminal justice. Uh, We've talked a lot about that on this show in terms of the reform that needs to happen there because often we put somebody into the criminal justice system, uh, they do whatever uh, amount of time it is, and then we put them back uh, with very little chance for success or a different outcome other than to be back on the street, back homeless, and potentially back uh, in the system again. Boyd, I, I, um, I, I could give you story after story of that example. I, uh, five years ago, Maureen and I were working with this wonderful woman. She had the sweetest little boy, and she'd been sober for two and a half years. She had just graduated from the recovery center, but she couldn't find a place to live because of the obstacles we create for people who have criminal records. Maureen and I were bound and determined we were going to help her find an apartment. I I think we drove to 35, 40 different locations, paying $35 to $45 per application and getting denied by every single one of them. Mm. Uh, And as we went through this experience, honestly, each denied denial emboldened me. I was we, we are going to get to the solution, but with, in hindsight, without me realizing it, each denial caused her so much pain and insecurity as she relived this trauma. In the end, we found her an apartment. Uh, you know, I'm thinking Eureka, Celebration, but within six months, she was back on the streets. And if you ask me, I think those repeated rejections played such a damaging part in causing that relapse. And so that's, yeah. that's just one of many stories I could tell where we inadvertently obstruct rehabilitation. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so we have got to we've got to change policy so that we're rewarding successful completion of long term care and continued behavioral progress by allowing individuals to truly reintegrate into our society. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything more important uh, than that, because so often that that failure cycle uh, and also the resentment that builds up in that failure process, uh, because Anyone who's gone through any kind of addiction program knows that one of the biggest reasons for a relapse uh, is resentment. And whether that's building up resentment with a boss or a spouse and rejection and that they're all integrated there. And so making sure that we are rewarding the success and that uh, that mobility, I think, is so important. Uh, Just in our our last 60 seconds here, Randy, uh, anything else we we should be thinking of rolling into the weekend uh, in terms of policy change or thing that things that you're hoping to, to get the discussions rolling on? Well, we need to remember that law enforcement is not mean. It, it protects our most vulnerable, uh, and so we need to we need to champion those that are on the front line, doing their best to help people in recovery. And second, we over-index on punishment rather than change, and there has to be consequences. There has to be accountability in order to infuse that energy toward changing one's life. Yeah. But but that, but that's an activity that serves a purpose, and the objective is human dignity the objective is helping them heal and 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 move to a better place uh love it randy shumway is the founder and chairman of the cicero group he is the co-chair of the utah homeless council uh randy always appreciate your perspective we will stay with this conversation as well it's a crucial one for our community for our society and as you said uh, for the human dignity of all randy thanks for joining us today thanks for having me Again, that's Randy Shumway, uh, and that's just a crucial conversation, and we will continue to have it. We will stay with it uh, because we have to get it right. We can get it right here in the state of Utah, and we can show the rest of the country what that looks like uh, as we move it all forward. Well, that wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Utah State Capitol for the rest of the afternoon. Jeff Kaplan will pick up at 3 o'clock, KSL at night. We'll come in uh, as we close out the legislative session, so stay with KSL News Radio. We'll step aside for some top-of-the-hour news. Representative Celeste Malloy is going to join us here at the Utah Capitol to talk about some national news coming up next. Stick around. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. From the KSL Common Spirit Health Studios, this is KSL News Radio. Utah's news, traffic, and weather station. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. A special edition of Inside Sources. We want to look at what is actually going to impact you, your community, your neighborhood, and the state of Utah. KSL is live from the Utah State Capitol Building with state lawmakers. It's Eye on the Hill 2024 with Boyd Matheson and Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We are broadcasting live today from Utah State Capitol. Last day of the legislative session. Uh, we'll have wall-to-wall coverage here on KSL News Radio throughout the afternoon and into the evening. So Jeff Kaplan will be broadcasting live here starting at 3 o'clock. And then, of course, uh, KSL at night will pick you up a little later on in the evening. And uh, that will be a fast and furious moment 
uh, as uh, the legislative session comes to a close at midnight tonight. So there's a, a host of bills that will be coming along uh, that uh, will either get through or get parked or benched or postponed or they will let it die on the board, so to speak, as uh, it doesn't actually get a vote. So those things will all be uh, interesting to, to keep perspective on. I know uh, Jeff and our uh, KSL at night folks are uh, lining up all kinds of great interviews from legislators, uh, from other leaders here in the state of Utah uh, as they march their way towards midnight and the close of the 45-day legislative session here in the state of Utah. It is the fastest 45 days in the nation, and it's one that, that so many around the country look at and are just amazed. Uh, many, I think we kind of take it for granted here in the state of Utah that uh, our legislatures are only full-time for 45 days. Uh, now, if you ask them, they, there's a lot of other days where they're in <laughs> a lot of meetings, a lot of hearings and so on, uh, where they are putting the time in. But um, so many around the country have full-time legislatures, uh, full-paid uh, system there, and, and that creates a different dynamic. I think the 45 days that we do here in the state of Utah are, are very effective and very productive. And it's a way to get things done, get it done swiftly. And the fact that we can balance the budget. Uh, as well as get things funded and uh, get the right things focused on, I think is a, uh, a good testament to how things get done here in the state of Utah. Uh, and, of course, it's not just here in the state of Utah, but uh, a lot of things happening nationally as well. Uh, we're going to be joined momentarily uh, by Utah Congresswoman uh, Celeste Malloy, representing uh, the, this, the uh, district here in, uh, in Salt Lake. And, of course, uh, she has the second district, which goes all the way down to St. George. Uh, in the southern portion of the state, and uh, she's been back in Congress and has gone through the first uh, lovely process of uh, stopgap spending bills and continuing resolutions. So we'll break that down with her and her experience there as well. Some of the things that she's getting done, a bill passed uh, and uh, moving forward with some uh, some good impact there as well. So we'll continue to do all of that uh, as we go through the day here on uh, Inside Sources and uh, as we look at the the national perspective of things, if you missed it during the uh, first hour, we did our inside sources, inside look at presidential politics. And I think one of the most interesting things uh, from the day yesterday was not the fact that you had both the current and the former president talking about immigration, uh, but they were both uh, in the state of Texas, in the state of Texas, on the border. And uh, it was one of those where uh, there was definitely much more said than is going to get done or get uh, turned into legislation. So we're going to keep our eye on that. It's one thing to talk border and immigration as it uh, relates to politics. It's another when it comes to good policy, uh, which is where we have to get. And uh, racing in is Representative Celeste Malloy. <laughs> and Representative Malloy, one thank you for making the trek to the Capitol. You ran up the hill and up the stairs and uh, yeah. catch your breath. And uh, as as you looked at uh, what took place uh, just over the last, uh, really in the last hour, President Biden did sign in uh, the uh, stopgap spending, the continuing resolution. Here we are again. Uh, so the good news is you have an extra week back there. Uh, this is, is this is, is your first intense. It's not good news. It's horrible news. <laughs> we need to get something done. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm glad we're still working on it, but it would have been better if we'd have just passed spending bills this week. And I I don't know that a week gives us that much more time to get work done so we can pass them next week. Hopefully we do. Yeah, not a lot of wiggle room there with a, a seven-day continuing resolution. They seem to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller in yeah. terms of uh, what they're doing there. But describe that process. Uh, and uh, you've uh, been in a legislative office. You understand the legislative process. 
give us your perspective in terms of how did that play out? What were the hallway conversations with your colleagues? Yeah, so the hallway conversations are, do we pass another short-term CR so that we can get to the point where we're, we're ready to pass spending mm-hmm. bills because we don't have the votes right now to pass spending bills? And and that alone is frustrating. I mean, we've been talking about this for months. Yeah. The appropriations bills have been done for six months, seven mm. months, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know how much more people need to know to know how they <laughs> want to vote. It, it's just a game at this point, and we shouldn't be playing games with this. This is one yeah. of the few things the Constitution says Congress is supposed to do, to pass a budget. We're supposed to pass spending bills. Um, so we, we need to just get after it and get them done. But I am hopeful, because we only did a one-week CR, yeah. that they actually do think we've got um, – the ability to vote on it next week. And just to be clear, I voted no. When I say we passed a, a one-week CR, they passed it without my help. Yeah. Um, but I think we can we can get some spending bills passed. Mm-hmm. What I would like to see us do is pass the 12 appropriations bills separately, yeah. and I'm not sure we're going to get that far. I'm hopeful yeah. that we'll pass spending bills, but they might be grouped, Right. you know, three or four bills at a time. Um, but I have people ask me all the time about big bills that we haven't read and this doesn't really fall into that category unless the four corners get together and negotiate something different than what's in the house appropriations bills but we have we do know what's in the house appropriations bills maybe not in granular detail but but it's not the same as a brand new 7,000 page bill that no one's seen yeah exactly and and having each of those 12 appropriations bills uh is the regular order is the process that it's supposed to be and and uh, and actually you're supposed to be working on the one that's going to be due on yeah. September 30th of this year. Yeah. <laughs> so we're still a year a year behind. Yeah, I, wor- I worked for an appropriator for four <laughs> years, and this is appropriation season. This is the time of year we're normally getting all of those appropriations requests in and hammering out the policy writers. Yeah. Um, and we're still talking about last year's, well, yeah. this year's funding, last year's bill. Yeah, well, hopefully we can get to some regular order there. I know that's a big thing on your agenda in terms of priority. Yeah. Uh, there's some other things you're getting done, too, though. you got a bill passed through the House. Tell us yes. about that. Uh, that was really <clears throat> fun. It's it's a technical bill. It's not one of the ones that's super <laughs> sexy to talk about. But the Women-Owned Small Business um, Program, WASB program, yeah. helps women own small businesses and and there's a goal of getting five percent of government contracts awarded mm. to WASBs mm. um, and w- the inspector general for the small business administration found that there's a loophole in there where businesses have to prove that they're women owned but they don't have to prove they're small mm. and the whole point of this is to help small businesses get into this program so the same really large businesses aren't getting all of the government contracts yeah so this closes that loophole to, so that they'll have to certify that they are both women-owned and small to be mm. part of the WASB program. Love that. We don't even know how we're doing at awarding those contracts because we don't know if they're actually small businesses. Oh, wow. And I think that's such an important thing, uh, again, for the government. Uh, it's easy to reward those contracts to the, the big companies who yeah. can afford an army of lawyers and lobbyists to get those yeah. through. Uh, we always say that it's the uh, it's the entrepreneurs that drive freedom everywhere, uh, right back to the founding yep. of the country. And uh, so I think having that, for, especially here in the state of Utah, we have such amazing women-owned small businesses that drive the economy and make such a difference in our communities. Yeah, and the idea is that they won't be small businesses forever. Yeah. You know, if they can get going and get a few contracts, then they can move out of that small business category, mm. and then they can compete. Yeah. But we're just trying to sort of incubate them while they 
yeah. get competitive. Um, and I did. I was at an event in southern Utah, and somebody said, I don't think you should be working on this because I don't think the government should be picking winners and losers. Mm. Um, and, and he's not wrong. The government shouldn't be picking winners and losers in business. But we're talking about government contracts. Yeah. So by awarding contracts, they're already picking winners. That's what right. we're trying to do is spread that out so they're picking more winners. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's uh, that's a really important distinction uh, yeah. because uh, we don't we definitely don't want government putting the thumb on the scale. Uh, but right now they're putting uh, a lot of dollars into a lot of big organizations who yeah. again can lobby and have lawyers to do all of that. Yeah. Uh, and so leveling that playing field and giving uh, really a Lincoln model of let's uh, clear the the path of laudable pursuit for all, give everybody a fair chance at it. Yeah. Uh, and so what's the uh, what's the path next? You passed it through the House. Now it moves over to the Senate side. Yeah, so it's it went through the Small Business Committee, so then I assume the Senate's version of the Small Business Committee yeah. will have a similar bill, right. and then, you know, if they're identical, then it goes to the president's desk, and if they're not, then we'll have to reconcile them, and I... In the last few years, everybody's kind of gotten a good education on how that works. <laughs> My, the, the Schoolhouse Rock video isn't totally obsolete, <laughs> but it's more nuanced. It's a little more nuanced than the Schoolhouse Rock. Well, we love Schoolhouse Rock on here. We, we try to apply that wherever we can. Good. Uh, last thing for you, uh, Representative Malloy, uh, as, as you kind of look forward, uh, obviously presidential year, all of the other distractions going on, uh, getting the government funded will be a big piece of that puzzle. What else is on the agenda? What do you hope the people of the 2nd District are thinking about? Uh, obviously the border, and as I dashed in the door, I heard you talking about that, so I know that it's something that's on your mind and on the program. Um, but I also hope people in the 2nd District are thinking about sort of the big-picture fundamental things, mm. the, the principles of good yeah. governance, because we're, we're at a really interesting time right now where with such a small majority in the House, such a divided government, we can't just push things through. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody can really push things through. You've got to get everybody on board to do yeah. every, anything. And it has its pros and cons. The cons are we're not getting anything done and everybody sees that on the news. But I think the pro is this is a time to figure out what we should be doing to try to get people on board. And so I hope people in the second district are thinking about that. I hope they're thinking about what they want out of government mm. and what government should be doing. Yeah. I know what I think the answers are. <laughs> I think we need a lot less government and we need it to be yeah. a lot more responsive to the people. Mm. Um, but this is a chance to have your voice heard. If you want government to be more responsive to the people, everybody has to be responsive right now. We don't yeah. have a big enough majority to do anything that doesn't have huge support. Yeah, uh, so important that uh, perfectly framed, and especially as we uh, broadcast from a state capital where things do get done yeah. uh, and where there is that accountability closest to the people uh, is so important. Uh, Representative Celeste Malloy, thanks for making the trek up the hill and up the <laughs> stairs. Uh, you even did it without needing oxygen. I think I would have needed oxygen for that uh, high degree of difficulty today, but uh, great insight and congratulations on getting that first bill passed through the House. We hope the Senate will pick that up in a hurry uh, for those women-owned small businesses, especially here in the state of Utah. Thank you. All right. Uh, we'll go ahead and step aside for a quick break. We'll continue to broadcast from Utah's Capitol Hill. Final day of the legislative session. session. More inside sources coming up next. Stick around. Get deeper insights on the news from inside sources. A special edition of Inside Sources, live from the Utah State Capitol on KSL News Radio. We are live from the State Capitol. We're actually in the committee hearing room, which is, I think is appropriate because we can uh, talk about things that matter to the folks here in the state of Utah. And KSL News Radio will be broadcasting from the Capitol all day today into the evening with 
Jeff Kaplan, and then KSL at night as we come down the home stretch on the legislative session here for 2024. And really thrilled to have joining us in the committee hearing room, uh, someone who knows his way around a committee uh, hearing room, Representative Brian King, a Democrat from District 23. And uh, Representative King, I know this is a, a quick uh, break for you as the uh, the race continues on. Uh, give us some overall observations as you look at the uh, legislative session this year. Well, first, thank to, thanks, Boyd, for having me. It's good to be with you. Um, it's been a fascinating session. Um, I think that we've seen some of the polarization that you see politically on a national level filter down to the state. Uh, I, this is my 16th session, and um, they are all difficult in some ways when you're serving yeah. in the super minority, which uh, we are. <laughs> I am as a Democrat. But, boy, I'll tell you, I've never seen... Um, it be quite so easy for bills run by Democrats to be killed simply because they're Democrats that I have mm. this session. That doesn't always happen that way. Yeah. But but you always, in a super minority position, have to deal with the reality that you don't get the benefit of the doubt, if yeah. there is doubt. And that's even more true this session. Yeah. In fact, I wanted to ask you just kind of on that political side of things, uh, the fact that the filing deadline uh, was so much earlier before the session began uh, kind of marked some territory, I think, in terms of some of the political battles and I think maybe have contributed to some of that polarization. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, <sighs> I've, I've, I myself, of course, I'm running for governor, and, and so I've tried to actually consciously not uh, speak about mm. things in a different way than I yeah. did my first 15th session. I think, I think I've done pretty well on that, actually. But, but listen, people, it's hard to avoid uh, thinking about and sort of aiming in that direction yeah. at times for people, both uh, taking shots at individuals who are running for other offices and, uh, again, retreating yeah. to your corners politically. Yeah, yeah, we have to get past all of that. We and, do. Uh, getting back to those things of integrity and civility and uh, getting to good policy based on those principles is so important. Totally. And uh, and we do a better job of it here in Utah than we do we in do. Congress. Because yeah. we, we know each other. We have, I have some of my best friends in the legislature are Republicans and vice yeah. versa. I think they would say the same thing about me. And so... We can't do anything as Democrats without having Republican support. Yeah. And and so I work very hard to have good relationships with folks across the aisle. Yeah, and you have to do that because uh, when you function that way, you have to have relationships, not just transactions. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's such a big deal. Exactly. Uh, you have been such a, a proponent in terms of water and the environment. Uh, I know we have one bill in particular, House uh, Bill 472, on the the water revisions. Give us just a description of that and yeah. uh, kind of what you're anticipating down the home stretch here. A little context, I think, is important. I went to our bill drafter who deals with water, uh, who is Patricia Owen, and she is really, really good. And I went to the state uh, uh, Great Salt Lake Commissioner Brian Steed and to others and mm -hmm. said, look, we got to get more water to the lake. I'm inclined to want to light my hair on fire and stand <laughs> on the rooftop and yell about it. And they said, you could do that if you want, but... Probably not. And that may be politically yeah. uh, advantageous for you, Brian, but a better throw, a better thing to do would be to run a bill that collects, that is doing, that does something that we would really like to see done, which is uh, develop a centralized water database that yeah. can be used as a resource for all of us. That's not going to get the water to the Great Salt Lake immediately, but it forms a part of a foundation that allows us to do that more quickly in the yeah. future. I said, if you think that's the best policy, I'm happy to do it. And the result is HB 472. Scott Sandel, a Republican in the Senate, is my Senate sponsor mm -hmm. for the bill. We got it through the House in good shape. It's sitting over in the Senate. We'll see if it gets through today. Um, but I'll tell you, we, we've got a whether it is forming, having good uh, 
spills run that form a foundation for putting water in the lake eventually because we have coordinated effort between water districts and uh, agricultural interests and uh, you know different shareholders and different stakeholders in that issue, which is what this bill is, or whether it is something more dramatic. We have got to fix the Great Salt Lake. It's yeah. got to get healthier for us. And if it isn't, none of us living along the Wasatch Front are going to want to stay here. Yeah, no question about it. And it is so important just to get all of that data into a central place so we can make the better decisions. Exactly. Get this the is, things done. And that is critical because right now we have very, very... Uh, we have dozens, maybe even hundreds of different water sources and users and shareholders, and there isn't a centralized water mm-hmm. database that will allow us to make the best decisions. This yeah. bill will help us with that. Uh, it's so important. And this is, again, one of those where you see bipartisan support coming together so we can get good information, so we can make good policy decisions and get the right result, especially when it comes to the Great Salt Lake. Yeah. Representative Brian King, a Democrat uh, District 23, a great leader here on Utah's Capitol Hill, uh, fostering a lot of those important conversations. Uh, Brian, as always, we appreciate you having you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank, thanks very much, Boyd. All right, and good luck. You've got uh, just a, a little over uh, 10 hours to go. and We'll uh, make it. We'll make it. <laughs> Thank you. The race is on uh, Representative Brian King, and uh, I love the fact that he focuses on this whole idea of making sure we have the right relationship. You can't just be transactional if you're going to get to good governance and good governing. And uh, as uh, Representative King pointed out, we do it better in Utah by far than they do in uh, our nation's capital. Uh, And we can even do better here. Uh, And even though there is a a super majority uh, and a super minority for the Democrats uh, in the state, it still relies on relationships, getting back together, having real principled policy discussions that can lead us to results that can do a couple of things. <laughs> Once you can check the result, you can hold people accountable. When you actually get to the results, you can look at what changes do we need to make, to, to make and how do we do that. Uh, but otherwise, we just end up with a lot of political chatter. And that political chatter keeps us a very safe distance from having the conversations that will produce the results I think everybody wants, regardless of political party. All right, we'll step aside for some bottom-of-the-hour news. We will continue to broadcast live here from Utah State Capitol. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Jeff Kaplan's going to pick up the baton and take you through the afternoon and drive time from the Capitol on the last day of the legislative session. KSL News Radio will be here into the evening with KSL at night uh, as we watch the final day of the legislative session tick away, and we'll see what gets done, what gets put, put off, and uh, what comes next. We'll be right back. Hear elevated conversation on crucial issues. Boyd Matheson on Inside Sources. A special edition of Inside Sources, live from the Utah State Capitol on KSL News Radio. Well, welcome back to this special edition from the Capitol here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today, as always. And of course, we're up here today because it is the last day of the legislative session. Here in the state of Utah, it is the fastest 45 days of any legislature in the country. I think we do a pretty amazing job here in the state. And, again, on budget, on time, uh, get in, get out, get it done, and move on. And that's the way it's supposed to be done. Uh, And while there are challenges, there are difficulties in this whole process. There's partisanship and politics that get played into it. Uh, I still think, for the most part, we do a pretty good job. Uh, If you missed earlier, we had uh, Democratic Representative Brian King join us. 
uh, here in the committee hearing room in the Capitol, where we're broadcasting from. And uh, just as a note, uh, coming up at the top of the hour, Jeff Kaplan will be, uh, he's sitting right beside me right now, getting warmed up and ready to go. He'll get you home safe and smart today uh, from the Capitol as he uh, follows what is happening as uh, the hours and minutes tick away uh, to get those last-minute things done for the legislature and then, of course, KSL at night will pick it up after that and uh, get you all the way to the end, uh, hopefully to the end uh, before midnight uh, when things get done here and they gavel out uh, for this particular session of the Utah State Legislature. Well, it's been an interesting week in terms of all the politics. Uh, we talked with Representative King here in the state about one of the ramifications uh, from a bill from a few years ago, and that is the moving of the date when candidates had to declare uh, their candidacy. And so that actually is a date now, this year, candidates had to to declare if they were running for office before the Utah legislative session began 45 days ago. And on one hand, you can say, well, that's good, get everybody in and declared. But I think it has created some political moments and some political posturing on a few messaging kinds of bills or uh, the way... Uh, legislators have gone back and forth or uh, traded barbs with each other or with the governor's office, whatever it may be. Uh, and so I do think we have to be careful there. I think that's one worth revisiting as we go along. Uh, of course, the other big news from, from this week was uh, Ambassador, former Ambassador Nikki Haley being in the state of Utah in the run-up to Super Tuesday. And as you're thinking about planning your week for next week, make sure you've got Tuesday circled on your calendar uh, so that you can uh, participate in the caucus system, uh, whether you're with the Democrats or with the Republicans. Many of the smaller uh, parties are also caucusing on Tuesday. Pres presidential preference poll for the Republicans uh, will be part of that as well. And the big thing is that we all lean in and engage in the process. And uh, so as we look at how we go about that, uh, I want to get to something that uh, I share regularly when we start getting into the heat of political season. Uh, and actually, as the session ends here on Utah's Capitol Hill, the political season will heat up. Uh, you've got uh, caucus, then conventions uh, for the political parties, and you'll have primary races. And then that'll stream right on into the uh, general election for the fall. And so when we go about that, it doesn't matter where the election is, whether it's a presidential race, whether it's a municipal race. Uh, the interesting thing that we have to remember as voters, uh, we don't just get what we pay for. We actually end up paying for what we get. And as voters, we gen generally get what we deserve. And so that's why we have to lean in on these things and actively participate. And so things are high stakes when it comes to all of that. And, and as voters, we should make sure we're not just being swayed by the latest polling or political spin. And especially because so much of what happens is media-driven these days. Uh, it's important for us as voters to really understand the issues and understand the candidates uh, and what's happening there. Uh, most of us won't have the opportunity to do a sit-down interview uh, with a candidate for a mayor's race or a governor's race or a presidential race. Uh, and I actually think that's okay. I actually think the most important thing we need to do is sit down with ourselves and ask ourselves a few questions about candidates before we're willing to cast a vote for them. So I'm going to rattle off a few of these for you today as you roll into the weekend and as you start thinking about uh, things that you're going to do and how you're going to participate on Tuesday next week. Uh, I've always said that one of the most important questions you should ask yourself about any candidate for any office is how is this candidate positioned to show real political courage? Uh, we have way too many in politics today. 
uh, who can't even begin to contemplate what would happen if they lost an election or how they would function outside of elected office. And so I always caution people, if you can't visualize what that looks like, if the candidate is so consumed with holding on to power or amassing that power or extending their time in power, there's no way that person can show political courage. Because if everything you're doing is consultant certified or poll tested and approved, there's no space for political courage. Uh, and I often like to think of it in this way. Uh, I love to ask a candidate the question, what would, make, what would be worth it to you to be just a one-termer in office if you could get it done? But it meant in order to get it done, you'd lose your job. And if the candidate can't answer that, you might want to think again about who you're voting for. Candidates should have something that they're so passionate about, so that they think is so important, that is the essence of their public service, that they would be willing to lose an election in order to get it done. That's an important question. I think one of the other things to consider is when you listen to a candidate, uh, where does it take your thoughts? In other words, when you listen to someone, do you just think about them? Is it all about their story? Is it all about what they're doing? Uh, or do you start thinking about your family, your community, your neighborhood? Because uh, if it's all about them, then that's pretty much where their focus is going to be. So you need to check that at the door. Uh, you can also always ask, uh, what's this candidate for? Not just what they're against. That's the easy part. You know they're against their opponent. You know they're against the opposing party. That's the easy stuff. But can they tell you what their agenda is, their positive, forward-moving agenda? Because if they can't articulate that, then they're going to be in the political party game as opposed to the good public policy game. And that's what you're actually hiring them to do. You're hiring them to do the hard things, things that don't happen on social media, things that they actually happen in committee rooms like we're in right now up at the Utah State Capitol. So those are the things that you have to really get focused on. We'll get into some more of these as we get into the week next week. Uh, but that's going to round it out for Inside Sources up here on Utah's Capitol Hill. Jeff Kaplan's going to pick up the baton, get you on. Again, broadcasting live from the Utah State Capitol. And uh, make sure you check out on Sunday morning, 9 a.m., my sit-down one-on-one conversation with former Ambassador Nikki Haley. Be part of that conversation. Have a fantastic weekend. And as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. From the KSL Common Spirit Health Studios. This is KSL News Radio. Utah's news, traffic, and weather station.